challenger, direct from out of the wasteland. He's bad, he's beautiful, he's crazy. It's, it's the man with no name. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. Get a good spot on the dome because we're watching Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 30, which begins with Dr. Dealgood introducing Max to the crowd, and it ends with Max bouncing in his harness. Strapped in along with us today are Jonathan Howell and Chris Ramirez from the Minute Impossible podcast. Wee, look at me, I can fly, Rick. <laughs> you guys having fun in your little baby bouncers? Yes, because that's exactly what this reminds me of. You know what? We're very harness forward over on the Minute Impossible podcast. So, yeah, we like anything that is harnessy. Yes, very much so. <laughs> we spent we spent almost three weeks talking about harnesses and you guys are going to do the same thing. Feats of daring do. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> Just a little sneak peek for our listeners. Next week, we're going to have Scott Corelli back as a guest because we're talking about a cage fight. And of course, him and Zach Luna, when they were doing Spider-Man Minute, they spent a lot of time talking about a cage fight. But as I was prepping these minutes, I thought, oh man, we're going to lose out on all of the opportunities to talk with the Minute Impossible guys about people being strapped to (laughs) a high structure and hanging down by two lines attached to their hips. (laughs) Well, in this scene, a Frenchman is not up at the top holding him up, so... (laughs) Not that we know of. Well, maybe there is. We don't know. There might be a Frenchman there. Up there holding him up the whole time. Madame et Monsieur, dying time's here. He's Spaniard, so he's not French, dude. Yes, he is. He's playing like a German, I think, in Mission Impossible. He's from Spain. Wait, what? You obviously have not listened to Jean Renault, famous Spaniard, one of our episodes. You're right, I haven't, but... (laughs) Wait, so Jean Renault... Famed French actor mm-hmm. Jean Reno si. is not French. No, he is Spaniard. He is not by birth. Just like I'm from Chicago now, I mean, he is French. Now, he changed his name. His parents yeah. are from Spain, and he changed it to Renault. Yes. Wait, so he's French in the same way that Madonna is English? <laughs> no, he has a little more than that. Okay. He's French in the same way that Mel Gibson is Australian. Okay, good point. Yeah. We. <laughs> oui. It's minute 52. Go listen to it anytime you want. There you go. (laughs) I love getting called out for having wrong information. Rick, did you not do your homework again? (laughs) Nope. (laughs) Yeah, at some point, I am going to sit down and I am going to watch Mission Impossible. Good movie. At some point. See, Julia knows what's going to happen. You got to watch it before you get to six. Come on. Uh, You guys are going to be on the last episode of our podcast. (laughs) That's the plan. Yes. We are? I told you about that, right, Julia? You did. I didn't know it was the last episode. It is. Seriously? Yeah, because it's only got one minute, so that way Rick doesn't feel like a dummy, because it's only got four (laughs) minutes of credits and one minute of the movie. That way he doesn't feel left out. (laughs) Okay. That means you have to watch the movie. Yeah. You have like a month. Get on it. I have actual prep time now. (laughs) So the week that you were on with the 25 minutes notice, what was going on in the movie? What part of the movie was it? It was them sneaking into the CIA. So them dressed up as the firemen and the drugging of Dunlow. And- it was Luther 
hotboxing himself in the back of a fire engine. Yep. So just prior to the iconic drop down. Yeah, correct. Scene. Okay. Yep. The whole zero body count. We'll see. They had not yeah. made it in. They had just gotten into the vent. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep. So you still haven't seen the iconic scene where he drops down into the secure room nope. and catches a sweat. That is drop. correct. Oh, that's, that's one of the greatest scenes in action movie cinema. That's what we say. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Back to this movie. Speaking of action (laughs) movie cinema, last time we were here, back on Wednesday, Dr. Dealgood introduced Blaster to great applause from the bloodthirsty crowd. We start off this minute with Dr. Dealgood turning back towards the door, and he says, The Challenger, direct from out of the wasteland, he's bad, he's beautiful, he's crazy. Now, earlier in the year, this is February 1984, Mel Gibson was named the first... People Magazine, Sexiest Man Alive. People Magazine had never declared that before, and Mel Gibson has the honor of being the absolute first. Didn't you guys say that he hated it? Isn't that what you told? You said, <laughs> I listen yes. to your podcast, Rick. <laughs> yes, I know. Yes, he did not like it. <laughs> I don't really know why. I just know that he didn't like it. I think he was just in a sour mood. He was drinking heavily. Well, it's Mel Gibson. Right. <laughs> he's, There's a whole other thing. He's kind of a jerk. Yeah, but it turns out the whole sexiest man alive thing was not something they planned. Basically, they had interviewed Mel Gibson for a piece and they didn't have a good headline. So they were just sitting around and one of the writers was like, oh, he's the sexiest man alive. And then someone else in the room was like, oh, we should just use that as the cover line. And so the whole title of sexiest man alive that People Magazine does like nearly every year, that was just a fluke. (laughs) So... Okay. It was just a spot of hyperbole. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. But yeah, Mel Gibson was the first, and <laughs> five years later in 1990, Tom Cruise got that honor. I use honor in a very loose sense, because it's People magazine. The best thing about them is the crossword in the back of the magazine. Oh, yeah, that anybody can do? Yep. It's the easiest crossword ever. Right, because the answers are all in the issue. Yeah. Yep. Golden <laughs> blank. Girls. Easy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, oh, I was going to say I. Oh. Other recipients include Patrick Swayze, mm-hmm. Brad Pitt, George Clooney, but you've also got people like Nick Nolte. <laughs> now, granted. Well, it's all th- about timing. That was 1992 Nick Nolte. He hadn't been hit by a truck yet. Right. He now looks like a gravelly old man. What was it last year that everybody was complaining about? Who was it? <laughs> that voice guy? Blake Shelton? Blake Shelton. Yeah, there you go. Okay, I just, I think you three men are not qualified to criticize the sexiest man alive. Why? Okay, the two recipients before Blake Shelton were David Beckham in 2015 Mm. and Dwayne Johnson in 2016. Mm. Yeah? And then you go from them to Blake Shelton? There is, okay, I'm not a particular fan of Blake Shelton. He's fine. He's fine, but I'm not a fan of his music or anything like that. He is a very handsome man. For a lady. And sexiness. He's no Jude Law. No. Well, nobody is. (laughs) Are we just going for people who philander on their uh, significant others? Because, I mean. That's what it sounds like. That's Jude Law, famously, allegedly. Oh, Denzel Washington in 1996. And also uh, Blake Shelton. Yeah, Blake Shelton. Allegedly. Not The Rock, though. No, not The Rock. No, not my rock. No, but he did get divorced. So, I mean, you know. (gasps) He ate his ex-wife. I don't think that's what that... <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> he absorbed her power. Sense. Yeah, he took her powers. Good. Cut off her head and... He's just going around like the Highlander taking power. Yeah. There can only be there one. Be one. <laughs> there can oh. be only one jabroni. 
There can only be one in The Rock. There was a post on the Movies by Minute maker and listener page where someone posted a picture from Highlander, and it made me think, if someone started a Movie by Minute podcast about Highlander, you could call it, we can only watch one minute of Highlander. <laughs> like, you'd have to do an ellipses in there or something like that. But that would be perfect. There's only one Highlander movie, right? I mean, there aren't any more, right? Right. There are only... No. There is only no. one no. Highlander movie. Nope. No other movies or TV shows or anything like that, right? Right. I mean, there's a couple of music videos that Queen did, but... There's... Are you... What? Welcome to Denial River. <laughs> now, okay. Julia... <laughs> what? Julia, I... Are you saying that us dismissing the sequels and the TV show is casting undue judgment? We'll count the quickening because Sean Connery's in it. I will accept your dismissal of additional Highlander movies, mostly because I know I've seen them, but I do not recall them. What I do not accept is your dismissal of the TV series. There was a TV series? <laughs> Oh, you Wait, you, you didn't know about the TV series? Oh, it's amazing! No, I know there was a TV series. I'm just saying. It's amazing. You're joking, right? No. No. Like, there legit was a Highlander TV series. Yeah. No, he's joking, not you. Okay. No, I did watch this TV series for like oh, okay. two years and then I gave up. <laughs> no, I've seen the whole thing. Oh, my God. There can be only one unless there's another one. That's pretty much what the tagline of that TV show was. Yeah. There's only one. Except for the other one. I am a big Mario Van Peebles <laughs> as a uh, bizarre wizard. <laughs> I am a fan. <laughs> Three's not as bad as two, but two is unwatchable and three is bad. So I don't know if you were around when I had that Laserdisc of the director's cut that came out. Oh, yeah. The Renegade cut. Do you remember us watching that? And we were like, oh, my God. I do. Oh, my God. I remember that in college. I still have that disc with me. If you've ever you never watched it, guys, you should watch the Renegade cut of Highlander 2 where the director who was fired yeah. redid the movie. Yeah, it's awesome. It's still terrible. It's still terrible, but but it, it's awesome to watch. <laughs> it's literally like watching someone hate something so much that they fixed it. Yeah, <laughs> which is a bizarre principle, but it's like Richard Donner doing that to Superman, too. It's like, I hate it, but I'm yeah, going to fix it. Yeah, that sounds like that one cut of The Hobbit trilogy that I found that cut all three movies into, I think it was just one four hour movie. Oh. Was it that long? Yeah, it was long. It was long. It should not have been three movies. That's ridiculous. We sat down and we didn't want to watch all three Hobbit movies. We <laughs> wanted to watch The Hobbit, but we didn't want to invest eight to 12 hours, however long those three movies come out. So I found a edit that trimmed out most of the fat and just condensed it down to like four some odd hours and so that was the version of the hobbit that we watched and so we will see clips and things of the hobbit online and we'll be like we don't remember that happening in the hobbit that, did, that wasn't in the hobbit <laughs> legolas wasn't in the hobbit what the heck maybe yeah. there's a cut of yeah. uh, mission impossible movies that you can watch where they've put them all together and mashed them into like five hours it's called mission impossible six <laughs> there is a cut of uh, the Star Wars prequels. Yes. yes. Oh, yeah, that famous one. Um, Focuses very heavily on it like, takes out Anakin the whole and romance stuff. That's, all the romance is gone. Yeah. Was it? Wait. Are we? Because I remember we might not seeing be talking one. About the same thing. I didn't watch them with you. Yeah, I saw one where it focused very heavily on Anakin, and it trimmed out a lot of the extra side story stuff. Well, Topher so Grace like, made one that like made the movies good. Yeah, that's what I was saying. Yeah. Yeah, he cut all three of the movies together into one. Into one. Interesting. Into one movie. Yeah, and the 
the episode one basically is like the first 15, 20 minutes of the movie. And then the majority of the movie is like episodes two and three. And then the rest of it's just all sweet, sweet pod racing. Exactly. <laughs> oh, pod racing. Uh, if only it could all be pod racing. Yeah, I think the edits that I watched, I think they were called the cheese-free edits. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't watched those. It was pretty good. I would I would be interested in seeing, you said Topher Grace did it? Did the edit? Yes. Yeah, I don't know where to find something like that. He showed it at Lucasfilm, too, at Lucas Ranch. Oh, yeah. so it might not be on YouTube. I'm sure someone probably oh. uploaded it somewhere. But yeah, because yeah. it's still the movie, so Lucasfilm isn't going to let that out. No, it's still the movie, so yeah. I mean, getting back to the minute. What? <laughs> Here we are talking <laughs> about other instances of cinema, and I feel like that might actually be appropriate because as Dr. Dealgood is going through his little introduction, he says, bad, beautiful, crazy. They didn't really realize how crazy turned out to be a lot more true than they realized. But he (laughs) continues and he says, it's, and then he pauses and then he says, the man with no name. And there, oh, there was an opportunity in this very moment for someone to actually say in a Mad Max movie, hey, this is Mad Max. Yeah. Yes. Yes. I think this line falls flat. Dr. Dealgood says it this way because Dr. Dealgood forgot Max's name. That's why he says it this way. That's why he pauses. That's and hilarious. Says, uh, the man with no name because he forgot Max's name. And that's straight from the book, right? That's from the book. I love that it's an homage to Sergio Leone and Clint Eastwood in that whole Spaghetti West. The whole movie is very Yujimbo in that sense at the same time, you know, because he's playing off everybody. So it's very Red Harvest, very Yujimbo, very Fistful of Dollars. I mean, it's that's the awesome part about Mad Max films in general me is that he's always playing off somebody to get to his own needs while helping others yeah i'm pretty sure that's how it was intended yes you know it's funny we get to see max in more or less cowboy boots we yep. get to see max in a poncho but we never get to see him complete the look with a wide brim hat no we don't he would look super cool you're right we don't but he has so many of those iconic features that I can picture the wide brim hat as well. Well, I mean, it's Australia, so the wide brim hat would have to have little bits of cork hanging from string off the brim. Yes, to keep the mosquitoes away. Problem with the wide brim hat, we talked about on Monday, he would really look like Doc Brown. Yeah. If he was wearing a wide brim (laughs) hat because of that white hair that he has coming down, he would look like, Marty! <laughs> Master is uh, done up in samurai gear, which is also a, a very Kurosawa Yujimbu sort of thing as well. So, mm-hmm. uh, at second fourteen, can we talk about the guard's mustache? Yes, please. That guy's mustache okay. is rad. <laughs> yes, it is it's epic. The most caterpillar-shaped mustache <laughs> I have ever seen. Like there are some mustaches that are just classified as caterpillar lips or something like that, and this is that. Like it is perfect caterpillar shaped mustache this mustache reminded me of my childhood oh god because i grew up in a military town oh oh in the military you cannot have beards but you can have mustaches so almost every like grown man that i knew had a mustache and there were all sorts, including this kind. That's a sergeant's mustache right there. That's a working yeah. man. <laughs> that is a working man's mustache. I love how when Max is led into the dome by mustache guard and <laughs> non-mustache guard, that the crowd hanging off of that dome, they boo him. They do not like Max because he's a stranger. 
I think they are very much caught up in the spectacle of all of this. Yeah. And they know which role Blaster is playing and which role Max is playing. And even in wrestling, each participant has a role. They are the good guy or they are the bad guy. And it really doesn't matter what they are personally, what type of person they are. It's an act. It's a play. And everybody knows what is supposed to be happening. Same thing's happening here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. People don't really care about who's right and who's wrong. Blaster is the good guy and Max is the bad guy. They kind of remind me of Boston sport fans, <laughs> where even if you don't follow sports, I'm speaking from personal experience, I don't follow sports. I don't follow the regular season. I barely follow championships. But if you walk up to me and you say something bad about a Boston sports team, like we're taking it outside because <laughs> we're taking it to Thunderdome. Right. Because you don't talk bad about my sport teams. <laughs> <laughs> it's not cheating. It's a creative use of resources. <laughs> yeah, that's what you're going to say about Max in the upcoming weeks. Yeah, because it is. Okay. <laughs> We'll debate it when we get there. Who's Max? (laughs) This is the man with no name. Lord of Thunder. (laughs) Yep. Lord of Thunder. Lord of Thunder. Another Ragnarok. Lord of Thunderdome. And power stash back there. God. So these guards, they drag Max over to the side of the dome and they start attaching things to his belt. And Max has this expression on his face (laughs) that almost says to me, oh no, There are bungee cords attached to my belt. This was not explained to me in the deal-making process. Shame on the collector. (laughs) There is so much that Max was not told ahead of time. (laughs) This process is way more complicated than it has any right to be. I don't know. I remember when I first saw this movie and I was like, what are they doing? Like, is he going to be whipped? Is he, is it some sort of like harness to just, I, I didn't know what it was. I, I did. I literally had no idea. It's some weird SNM gay bar thing. You know, it's like really weird. I didn't, I didn't know what <laughs> it was. It was, it was one of those. Well, also it doesn't really fit with the rest of it. Cause it's not, those straps are not Mad Max E X. They're like, they're white. <laughs> Giant bundles of surgical tubing. Yeah, they're they're white and, and like bright and they're not they're not as craggy as I want them to be. They're not as broken leather and, you know, harnessy. Like everything else everybody's wearing is all dingy and gross because it's like a pig poop town and you know you know, everything's <laughs> muddy, but the, the yeah, it is it's the tubing is very disturbing to me. I don't like medical tubing like that. That just it's very bothersome. I'm sure that it's something that George Miller saw while he was a doctor in, in one of those emergency rooms when he was Doing that and then thought, those are Dr. Dealgood's tubes from when he's a DDS, when he's doing his dentistry. Oh, there you go. Yeah, you can't tell me that when George Miller and Byron Kennedy, back when they were trying to get funding for the first movie, that they didn't at some point take surgical tubing and use it to make slingshots. Like, how can you not? (laughs) I mean, I guess if you're a professional or something like that, but come on. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Let's be real here. (laughs) So this surgical tubing, it's going to run out and dry up and break apart at some point in the not too distant future. This stuff is not made to be used like this. What are they going to do when they run out? They're going to lose multiple sets of surgical tubing in this fight alone. That's right. Maybe they're lousy with medical tubing. Maybe they just have tons of it. It's the only explanation I can think of. That seems unlikely. Well, I mean, they're barter town. Let me go through this, guys. We have no gasoline. Just trade for more. No rules, (laughs) but we have more tubing than we'll ever know what to do with. (laughs) You know what? It might be. It's a society around this tubing. 
it might be that they just had some sort of surgical tubing windfall lately. Someone rolled into town who had looted a hospital somewhere and said, or maybe not even a hospital, maybe like a surgical tubing factory. And they showed up with a cart full of surgical tubing. And the collector's like, I don't know what we're going to do with this. And Iron Bar was like, I've got an idea. And so (laughs) this might be the first couple of fights where they've really instituted the surgical tubing. Yeah, because they were like, remember how Thunderdome kind of sucks and they're always on the ground and they just run around in a circle? That sucks. Let's do something else. Oh, let's have them put on the tubing and have them stretch around. (laughs) And that way they can actually use the top of the dome. Yeah, what's the point of having a dome if you're not going to use all that space? Well, they used to have Thunder Square and Thunder Square sucked. (laughs) Thunder Cube was not as structurally strong. Not as many people. Weirdly Egyptian. You know what would be amazing? Thunder Maze. (gasps) <gasps> Thunder maze. But oh, you can see yeah, through it. One. Like it's all just mesh. <laughs> so you're just like, yes. oh, it's like one of those like mirror and glass mazes at the carnival. Oh my God, now we need glass. Where <laughs> they each start at two ends and they're like charging at each other. Then they hit the glass and they're like, oh no, I got to go around. <laughs> yeah. So if they have to get through the maze and attack each other at the same time. And are wearing medical tubing. And then in the <laughs> middle of the maze, there's a big old cup. And they grab the cup and they get transported to a graveyard. Wait, wrong series, never mind. Yes, although this idea does explain how that maze might have actually worked. There you go. Because there's a big point of contention about how once Harry and all of them got into the maze, it was no longer a spectator sport. And that's the (laughs) point of Thunderdome. Well, half the point of Thunderdome (laughs) is to decide disputes and be a spectator sport. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So if we have Thunder Maze, everybody wins. Yep. So we get a quick shot back up at Auntie, who is, I guess, keeping her eyes on Max. She's doing her best to appear neutral, but you can tell that she's got that little bit of anxiety about the situation. Yeah, she is nervous. Yeah. She might also just be tired from wearing all that chainmail. I mean, it's heavy. It's not a light outfit. It's heavy. <laughs> and she's strapped to that chair. She's breathing heavily because her bosom is like... Chris, her eyes are up here. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, her bosom is the one part of her that isn't holding up a chainmail dress. Hey, Chris, her earrings are up here. Okay, buddy? <laughs> her giant Ferengi earrings. They make her look like Princess Leia. Yeah. Oh, it's so cool. I love, I love, always loved her outfit. It, it jangles too. I bet it made great noise on set. It's like clink, clink. Mm-hmm. Then we get the, uh, video, the music video for the film and she wore the outfit in it too. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. What, uh, what are they going with? I, you may have talked about the guards before. What are they going with, with the feathers? Is it just kind of an homage to the weirdness of a uh, road warrior? And some of those guys had like Mohawk feather are, are just Mohawks in cause it's 1985. Or is it like a Spartan thing, you know, where they had the the thing on the top? Or is it a chicken thing? Well, not everyone is able to grow as impressive of a mohawk as some of the raiders in Road Warrior. So obviously you would supplement the inability to grow a good mohawk. And I mean, they don't have that many hair products in the post-apocalypse. So of course you would bolster your mohawk game (laughs) with the feathers. And it's also, it's, it's like a good visibility thing. You know, it's part of their uniform. Makes them easy to pick out in a crowd. I like it. And only that one guy could grow the mustache. So everybody else had to have fake hair. (laughs) (laughs) And unlike Road Warrior, the gang there, that's a proper gang. That's for life. This is a job. (laughs) Right. They get to take off the Mohawks at the end of the day. Yeah. And there's also, I think, a certain rate of turnover. (laughs) 
they actually hire new people. Well, yeah, because a lot of people get shot. Yeah. <laughs> Their guards die for various reasons, <laughs> and they have to hire new ones. Here, this was Tim's outfit. Go ahead and put it on. So it takes time to grow a mohawk. Honey, this is my job. This is not my life. <laughs> oh, I can imagine Auntie having to fire a guard. She brings them up to the penthouse. Is like, all right, give me your gun and your mohawk instead of a gun and a badge. <laughs> <laughs> and then she shoots them and kills them off. She's got like a drawer that she drops them in. And then she struggles to close the drawer because the mohawk is so huge. It just won't close properly. Auntie is not the only one spectating this spectacle obviously we get some late arrivals to the thunderdome in the captive workers from underworld they have been allowed to come up to the surface to watch the thunderdome fight and i'm assuming that they're only allowed to come up here because it's master blaster that's fighting oh okay that makes sense okay i'm okay with that it's like their boss is doing this so yeah yeah I did have a problem with the captives being able to take time off of captivity <laughs> to go watch basically a, like a playoff football game. Like, that's ridiculous. Yeah. You don't get to leave jail just to go watch baseball. Right. But if Master specifically said, you guys come up and watch this, it can be viewed as... Come see my power and my control over this world. Yeah. Therefore, it is also my control over you. Watch Blaster kill some dude to be reminded of the fact that he can easily kill you too. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and we got a Bruce Spence sighting. Yep. yep. He's still hanging around Bartertown. He has not left yet. Well, he heard there was a fight. Yeah. And there was a party. He stuck around for the party, which means his poor kid is back home in the salt mine. Uh, dad. Just sitting there because he went home when he was told yeah. to. He said, go straight home. And the kid said, you betcha, dad. And then he <laughs> flew away. Right. Uh, it is highly coincidental that the two other people in Bartertown that we know happen to be right next to each other on the dome. Yeah. And have good seats. It's a filmic coincidence. Yeah. They seem pretty low. So they are still technically in the quote-unquote splash zone <laughs> yes. to make a SeaWorld equivalence <laughs> here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Those are the equivalents of the lawn seats. Yeah, which, I mean, of course that's where the prisoners would sit. But I'm curious why Jebediah is sitting so low. You think maybe he was on his way out of town and decided to come back when he heard? Yeah, I see him as kind of a casual viewer. Like, yeah. he's been hanging out in the market all day, and he's like, well, I could go home, or I don't know, I guess I'll... Head over to the dome and see what all this Thunderdome fight's all about. If it's interesting fighters, I'll hang out. If not, I'll go check and see if my kid is alive. <laughs> right. And he doesn't know that Max is Max, right? No, I don't he think so. He doesn't know the connection that he has with him. That's the funny thing about Max and Jebediah is that they have such influence on each other. And yet I don't think either of them really realize what the nature of their relationship is. Yeah. It's kind of weird. The next couple of shots we get are spectators passing the hammer and the chainsaw up the sides of the dome so that they can hang them pretty high up. And I guess it makes sense why Max and Blaster are getting hooked into these like Cirque du Soleil harnesses so that they're able to jump higher to get these weapons so high up. And kind of makes me wonder if certain weapons are hung at certain height or if they're all that high. Like I'm assuming that there are probably certain weapons low down, quote unquote, better weapons or high up. It might also be completely random. When Max was asking about weapons and the collector said, if anything's possible, fate decides, fate might dictate that 
for this fight, the chainsaw is lower versus higher, you know, that type of thing. It does kind of seem like the spectators are making the decision yeah. about where to put the weapons. The Tweedles have passed the weapons off and then the spectators are like, hut, 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 all the way up. Yeah. So I don't know if not only do the Tweedles get to decide what weapons get hung, but they decide where they get hung and yeah. they just tell, they communicate that information. That's a lot of responsibility for characters who are actually named Tweedledum and Tweedledumber. I kind of see it as a fun thing that they get to participate. Like, hey, I'm going to be talking. Why don't you choose the weapons? Like just as a fun thing that they get to do because they probably don't get to do all that much. The one that has teeth gets to tell everybody where to put the weapon and the other one has to wait. <laughs> Because her turn's tomorrow. You know, I was, I was thinking about <laughs> it earlier. Tomorrow. Watch the, 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 the weapons go up. You know, we're seeing them go up. Thunderdome has like a technical crew that, you know, places the lights and makes sure that they're all there and, you know, make sure that everybody, everything is working in working order prior to the, to the yeah. event. You're talking about roadie warriors. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, they're like perfectly placed when you look at, when you go back and you look at the beginning of the minute and. Dr. Dealgood's like giving his speech and you see the lights like dust everywhere. I mean, the dust is obvious from the from the, the area, but the lights are all set and everything. And you know, it'd be awful if one of the lights went out in the middle of the fight and somebody has to go fix it. They're trying to reach between the bars. They don't be like, just just let me just let me change the light bulb. Real I mean, quick. you really don't have to reach. Stay on the other Most side. Most of the I mean, uh, <laughs> you could just climb out of Thunderdome. <laughs> Thunderdome is not really a cage. It's not airtight. No, uh, there, there's like a there's like a technical director in the background going, "All right, give me lights on two, give me lights on three, <laughs> you know, stuff like that." You know, cue the chainsaw on three. Cue the chainsaw. <laughs> it's like run, it's like Running Man in the background, you know. Right, right, right. Thank you so much for bringing that up. <laughs> that is actually in my notes, Chris. I love the Running Man movie. Already, we're like connected. That we are like connected. The Running Man, because I was looking at this, since this is our last episode with you guys, and we're getting close, I wanted to talk about the Thunderdome concept. Like, do you mind if I talk about that? Like, where Thunderdome came from, where this idea of two men pitted against each other came from. No, go for it. I went and was looking up stuff, and there was a short story written in 1958 called The Prize of Peril, written by uh, Robert Sheckley. And it was the first example of like a deadly reality show. I know this isn't really what this is, but it is. It's a public forum of death, two people fighting to the death, other than gladiators. I mean, yes, of course there was always gladiators and that's what this is also, but in a modern telling. Yeah. And this prize of peril story was supposedly an inspiration for Stephen King when he wrote The Running Man. And that made me think about, oh, The Running Man is definitely, you know, I love the movie version of it, too. The, the book's different. But I love the pitting someone against each other is such a quintessential piece of at least, and you brought it up, too. In our Wednesday episode, Rick, you said talked about Bloodsport. All of these movies in the 80s centered around a two men enter, one man leaves situation yeah all the way down to like karate kid all of them except those kids got to live <laughs> two boys enter <laughs> two boys leave <laughs> right low stakes but it was definitely a trope of the 80s it had happened in the 70s and the 60s and the 50s but i think that the reality the level of it like in front of large crowds and where some places it was going out on tv and running man obviously we had the richard dawson of things so it was like a tv show i just love i i'm i'm fascinated by this concept because I've always thought two men enter, one man leaves is the best, most distilled version of this. 
we talked about it before. Thunderdome is perfect. Mm-hmm. As long as there are no actual politics added to it. Right. It is a perfect <laughs> system, though, of combat. In as much as if violence is your rule, this is the perfect system for your rule. And I'm always interested in finding out how that came to be. And knowing that Stephen King was referencing another book that I had never even heard of, or excuse me, a short story, is fascinating that we as a society have been thinking about this Thunderdome thing. And that's why I think this movie resonated so much, because we were like, yeah, this is great. You have a problem, go in here and take care of it. And to this day, we all, anytime you have an argument with somebody, you'll be like, all right, two men enter, one man leaves. One thing that I love about the Mad Max movies is that they show society at different stages of post-apocalypse. Near apocalypse, recent post-apocalypse, further away post-apocalypse, generational apocalypse. And in each instance, you see that people are still carrying on with their lives. They're finding different ways to cope with their situation, but they're still alive. They're still trying to thrive. And there's a lot of hope in post-apocalyptic movies. It's not all doom and gloom unless you're watching The Road. Right. Exactly. (laughs) For 90% of the people of Bartertown, things are not bad. Right. Yeah. I mean, it kind of (laughs) sucks, but... uh, It's more or less subsistence living. But in a world where usually you die, subsistence living is actually really nice. They've got a routine that they've put together. Pardon the pun, you're high on the hog, (laughs) subsistence living in Bartertown, as opposed to everything else. You've got a pattern you can follow. You go out, you scrounge, you return to Bartertown, you barter, you get supplies, you go out and scrounge again. It's the routine that we all have in our daily lives here in modern society. And you have to master subsistence living before you can evolve beyond that. Yeah, we've got Maslow's hierarchy here. Yeah, that's the first act of The Force Awakens is about someone who lives in a subsisted living society Mm -hmm. and takes her stuff and barters it. I love that we're once again touching back to Force Awakens. We've all agreed that the Collector is basically a proto-Unkar Plutt. Yes. Very much. (laughs) Well, there's always a character who is the guy with the stuff. Mm -hmm. Danny Noonan is the guy with the stuff in Caddyshack. Oh, you ain't getting no coke. You know, he... (laughs) It every movie has this person, whether they stay that person is something to be desired, but there's always the person that has the things. Mm -hmm. And in this is Auntie and the collector and all of her entourage. And speaking of Auntie, she has got a few things to say before we start fighting. The last shot of this minute is Max still flanked by a couple of guards. He's in his baby bounce (laughs) setup. He's ready to Cirque du Soleil all over the place and he's being led into the middle. And we don't actually get to see him meet Blaster in the center of the arena. We get cut off before that. But before we're actually going to start the fighting next week, Auntie's got a few things to say. Dr. Dealgood's got a few things to say. So we're going to put all that off until Monday. In the meantime, Jonathan and Chris, you guys have been great to have on. Could you tell the nice people listening once again where they can find more of you on the internet? Sure. Chris, you want to do it? No, you go ahead and do it. I don't know where we're at. I I do it all the time, so I I just didn't know if you wanted to do it. All right. No, no, you're good. Yeah, you can find us, just like Highlander, lots of different places. We're on the internet at Minute Impossible. We have a podcast that we do one minute at a time, just like these guys. We go through the movie from 1996, Minute Impossible, uh, Mission Impossible, the first (laughs) movie right now. As we record this, about to record uh, Minute 95, so we're wrapping up. And then we're going to go on hiatus and then come back with Mission Impossible 2. So join us on Instagram, on Twitter at Men Impossible, M-I-N Impossible. 
and on our Facebook group, The Impossible Minute Force. How long is your hiatus going to be? Do you have a rough idea of how long people have between the two seasons to catch up on everything? We're already planning hiatus episodes, so we won't, we won't be stopping. Uh, we're going to be doing uh, some action interludes. That's what we're calling them. Nice. And there will be action movies where we're going to have a roundtable panel and talk about the one, not minute by minute, just all the minute by some minute by minute people talking about movies. Nice. Yeah. So uh, probably, I don't know, three or four months. What do you think, Chris? Yeah, probably after Fallout comes out, I would think. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah, definitely after, after Fallout. Fallout. Yeah, because we'll want to do a whole Fallout retrospective thing. Exactly. Because we actually have a movie. You know, we have we have a hot movie coming down. <laughs> so we're, we're kind of excited <laughs> to talk about, you know, movie that's not 22 years old. So it gives us a unique perspective. Yeah. Three, four months should be enough time for people to go back to episode one of Minute Impossible and just binge all the way through the first movie. Plus, we got to get Jonathan all like psyched up to do Mission Impossible 2. Oh, God. So that way, when you start Mission Impossible 2, they'll be all cut up. (sighs) But I will say one thing about Mission Impossible Fallout. The fact that everyone is on Facebook talking about Fallout all the time in the context of movies makes me really wish that there was a movie version of the Bethesda video games of Fallout, and it makes me real sad every time I see it. Yeah, when you said Fallout, my mind first went to, oh, there's a new video game. Yeah, a lot of people were talking about that because they they had, you know, Mission Impossible Fallout, and they had the little guy. But no, unfortunately, it's just a bunch of mustaches and <laughs> a bunch of mustaches and Tom Cruise and, and a bunch of other action. people. Yep. And crazy, amazing, best trailer of the best trailer of the year so far. Yeah, so far, definitely. Aside from the Minute Impossible podcast, of course, there is more of Julia and I to enjoy because we've got our weekend show on Patreon. You give us three bucks a month, you get full access to the extra show. It's called Anarchy Road. Of course, we're going through Hook. We are on week 10 in this weekend's show. We're going to see Peter fail miserably to save his children. Tinkerbell is going to promise Captain Hook an epic war. Bloodthirsty little bug that she is. And uh, clumsy pirates are going to send Peter to the briny deep. Sounds like a good time. Sounds like an excellent time. Nice little bit of warmongering on a fairy's part. So that'll be fun (laughs) for sure. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 30 of beyond thunderdome see you next time Everybody say-